Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to our Season 2, Episode 17 of the Africa Calling podcast on April 29th, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of stories from the African continent this week, including a report from Zimbabwe on how drug abuse, using crystal meth in particular, has taken hold. Plus, we'll take a look at how making drums by hand is a dying tradition in Cameroon. And in Benin, our correspondent goes to a celebration after France returns the royal treasures of Benin after more than a century in exile. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa Calling In Zimbabwe, the worsening political and economic environment is leading to more young people turning to a new form of escapism, methamphetamine. Crystal meth abuse is adding to a combination of social problems accompanying the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic as fatalities steadily rise. So bad is drug abuse that the government of Zimbabwe is now embarking on anti-drug abuse campaigns. But parades aren't enough to curb the crisis. Correspondent Kudzai Shimhangwa reports from Asvingo. The Ministry of Youth recently organized an anti-drug abuse march in the city of Mashingo in southeastern Zimbabwe. Young people are finding it increasingly difficult to make a living. They believe their best way out of the anxiety and stress is turning to drugs. Crystal meth, a synthetic methamphetamine made cheaply, is their drug of choice here in Mashingo. When President Emerson Mnangagwa assumed power after deposing long-time ruler the late Robert Mugabe in November 2017, the whole nation hoped for a new beginning. Now, things only seem to have worsened. The Zimbabwe Federation of Trade Unions estimates that unemployment is hovering at 80%. Drug dealers peddling crystal meth in Zimbabwe are taking advantage of the situation, making astronomical profits. Here at the old Mashingo bus rank, it's a hive of activity tonight as people seek to ease off what has been a hot and busy day. This is Father's Bar, where young people gather to buy ice-cold beers and dance. But not everyone has come to dance the night away. Standing at various corners within and outside the bar are ordinary men selling cigarettes, eggs and sweets. These men are also selling methamphetamine, known in street lingo as guka. The drug peddlers are called the jazz men. Tendai, not his real name, approaches a jazz man standing outside the bar. With a nod of the head, he hands the jasmine five US dollars and is given a small sachet before he quickly walks away. Tendai tells us what he has just bought. I get my crystal meth fix from the bus rank. That's where I get it all. Five US dollars for a sachet. I always hit it in a fluorescent light bulb. I get it through combining a dollar each with my friends. We then meet at an agreed place. Once we get it, we smoke it to the very end. Looking for money to buy this drug is a big challenge. My friends sell their own clothes while others steal property from their parents' homes just to get high. Relatives end up hating us because most of us don't get along with them. When we go home, we just go back for the sake of formality and family rules. 
But most of the time, we will be at specific and planned places, smoking marijuana and crystal meth. Crystal meth is a highly potent and addictive man-made stimulant that causes violent behavior. Many people we interviewed reported getting hooked from the first time they smoked it. Tendai explains that as young people living in the slum area, they want to work, but with Zimbabwe's economy in crisis, there aren't any opportunities. A lot of my friends using this drug are actually dying, but there's nothing we can do about it. When I think about it, I don't encourage other youths to go and buy such drugs. Crystal meth is a horrible drug. We are already hooked to it, but there are no jobs in this country. In another area near the old bus rank, a group of young men meet up at night outside a bar. Sitting on a wooden bench, they energetically argue about the English Premier League and which team is likely to make a sudden comeback. Their hidden agenda is combining money to get a fix. We speak to another meth addict named Colin Mugadza and he tells us that he needs crystal meth to make it through the tough days. I'll become less appetite and... I lose my appetite after smoking meth. I spend my time loitering and I can't sleep at night. I don't have any form of entertainment and this stresses me out. I don't need any girlfriends because I don't have any feelings after taking the drug. I'm just fine with my crystal meth. Property, my mother's stuff, my laptops and stuff till I'm broke. Colin says his family do not know about his whereabouts most of the time. He explains that getting a fix every day is all that really matters to his life. He doesn't care for his family and friends anymore. We meet up with the mayor of Mashingo City, Councillor Colin Maboke. In the serenity of his lower chambers, he sits on his leather chair looking through council minutes from the previous day. Maboke tells us that young men abusing crystal meth causes societal problems, such as a rise in the crime rate and gender-based violence. However, he says the city council is exploring a number of options to deal with the problem. Yeah, we're trying to create uh, some employment for the youth. Well, some of these problems are being caused by a lack of employment. And we are also having some campaigns at what levels. We have uh, engaged the, the ward leadership and the church leaders to assist us in educating the youth regarding the issue of drug abuse. So what is the long-term effect of this drug abuse on society in terms of crime rate? and uh, Obviously, it will increase the crime rate and even uh, the issue of abuse of property. Suppose once you are addicted to such drugs, you will become a very dangerous person to the community. Mm-hmm. And then finally, where do you think uh, these drug dealers probably source these uh, drugs to supply these youngsters? I'm not so sure, but... Uh, from the information, which I don't have a, a reliable source, these drugs that they are coming from Mozambique. So I, I think we need also to engage the police to assist by having some roadblocks along the Mashingo Mutari Road. Because usually that is where 
they used to travel those tracks from. Maboke says that most of the crystal meth is illegally imported into the country from neighboring Mozambique. He points out that council is asking the Zimbabwe Republic Police to set up roadblocks along the Mutare-Mashingo Highway, which connects with the Mozambican border. We are at Philip's house. He's a crystal meth runner we managed to convince to tell us his story. An unidentified young man lights up a fluorescent light bulb containing a crystal meth stone and inhales the fumes. Philip says he usually invites regular customers to take the drug in his house with the doors locked. He also tells us that the power lines we saw on our way to his house, strewn with hanging sneakers, is a code that a drug dealer is nearby. Philip said he isn't going to quit this line of business anytime soon, as the profit margins are good. The Crystal Palace, the big stone which you've all heard about, is smoked by ghetto youths. Most of them are going crazy, they don't have any life direction. My product is the real deal. One sachet is going for five US dollars, the smaller one three US dollars and so on. Different prices for everybody. There are so many drug dealers and peddlers, there's no stopping. These drug it's everywhere. We the jazzmen are all over the scene. It's good for productivity. If you want to work for several hours, go ahead, just light it up. Philip says that the hallucinations and feelings of pleasant relaxation that his clients feel each time they smoke the drug drives them to keep coming back to buy more. It all begins and ends in the light bulb. Most of my clients love my drug because they don't sleep. It makes them work. Crystal meth is no good for people who don't work. That's what they say. I'm in business as a supplier. I'm a jazzman. That's all I have to say about this wonder drug. In town, we meet up with the Minister of Youth Anti-Drug Campaign spokesperson, Jeff Warara. The government hopes to achieve middle income status within the next eight years in a policy titled Vision 2030. Crystal meth abuse has become a big problem that authorities are battling to curb. Warara says that apprehending drug dealers would partially solve the problem. Today in Masingo province, we are having a provincial launch. We are trying to see how the use of drugs by young people affects the attainment of Vision 2030. The government has established an interministerial committee to spearhead the fight against these drugs. Drug peddlers will be arrested so that there is a reduction in the use of that drug. Statistics compiled in 2021 by the Zimbabwe Civil Liberties and Drug Network revealed that 60% of psychiatric admissions were due to abuse of drugs. 80% of these were people aged 16 to 25. Faced with an imploding economy and a shrinking industrial base, the authorities are already overwhelmed and incapacitated to address methamphetamine abuse among youths in Zimbabwe. Only by involving the government and non-governmental organizations can drug abuse be solved in Zimbabwe. However, with political bickering and jostling taking center stage in the country today, this seems like a fleeting illusion. Reporting for Africa Calling, this is Kudzai Chimangwa from Mashingo. Find us on your favorite podcast platform app. 
including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. In Cameroon, locally produced drums are an integral part of music across various tribes throughout the country. This traditionally handmade instrument is falling out of use due to the increase in modern instruments and even computers. Correspondent Batata Boris Karloff looks at the situation in the Anglophone regions of Cameroon and talks to craftsmen about their dying art. This is the elephant dance, also known as Malay in Mukwe, the culture of the Bakuri people, a tribe in Fako Division, southwest region of Cameroon. Here, the people make use of different types of drums that suit the event, like the Litimbi, Izungangomo, and Izimba. These three sets of drums are used for the Malay dance, an event in Boya, the southwest capital. The sound of drums blend with the steps of masquerades. These masquerades are believed to clean the land from all evil spirits. Musicologist Eric Nkwenti explains the type of drums used for dance like this in the southwest region of Cameroon. We have some particular instruments. We have variety of them, but there are some, especially drums. We have a full set of drums. Some, we call them bass drum. It is used like the engine of the instrument, just like a car has the master engine. So the bass drum serves as an engine in the instrument department. And we also have the side drums. We call them the solis drum. That one it accompanies the master bass drum. Then we have the other one we call in our local language Mumbale. That's another long bass drum that is longer than the other one. A player of that particular drum must not be any kind of a player. Must be somebody who knows how to sing and must be somebody who knows how to play. Drums are typically played at traditional cultural events, but some modern recording artists have shown an appreciation for their ancestors, including this unique sound in their music. This song is titled Moname by modern musician Mola Mungumbena Liomongaka. He sings in the local language of the Bakuri people. Mola Mungumbe says that modern technology does not give the same satisfaction when it comes to making music. The role of music for, for promoting our local instruments. Promoting local instruments and music is very important because the instrument we play is a language. Music revolves around all of this, especially the drums. Unfortunately, computer-generated drums are the fashion now, so people don't use real drums. But the sound produced from a computer is nowhere near the same sound produced with our local instruments. As Wotamo and all those so many other traditional dances. Mola Mungumbe admits that local drum is used a lot less, but through his genre of music, known as Njoku Jazz, local drums will always be played. I use them in my music, the Njoku Jazz, because... Those instruments have a language that they speak. We don't just play them because we because they are they are some kind of musical equipment, but they have a language. Like if you listen to, for example, even the Malay that is popularly known, the combination of those three drums give us a melody that is irresistible, that you must want to dance. That's why so many people got into Malay, not because they really loved it, but those instruments have a way of pulling you, of charming you. So our forefathers understood the need and those languages, even before the white man came with the guitar and all those things, those were our own guitars, you know. So some of us who have identified with ourselves with uh, fabricating or promoting the culture through music, 
we need those drums, those particular instruments, to be able to speak that language, which creates a different identity apart from the guitars and the pianos that we use. <laughs> we are at George Tifuntong's drum making studio in Motengene, one of the towns in the southwest region. They manufacture different types of local drums. Craftsmen are busy putting the last minute touches on this drum. This is crucial to ensure the drum is finished for the market. Tifun Tong, known as Pad Drummer, his trade name, has crafted drums for close to three decades. My job is drum making. I fabricate drums, all types. Bamlake drums, Bayangay drums, Bayangay drums, Bamada drums, and so many types. I fabricate drums for so many types. We know this, our drum making like this. It all, it all depends on one on one type of drum. You have to know that these people they like this type of drums, and those people they like this type of drums. So you have to fabricate according to their own uh, taste. You don't just say anything to any person. Pa drummer trains his sons in the craft, passing on his important drum making skills. Testing the drums is also very important, as he says they speak in different tones according to their sizes. Playing here for us is Stanley Tita, a.k.a. Peking Drummer. He picked up the drum-making profession from his father, Pad Drummer. He says he is an unusual case, though many youths don't want to put the time and effort in it. Ever since I was a kid, I always see my dad doing this, and I was like, I should not just stop it because I've grown up, and it has been feeding me from childhood up to date, so I don't see any reason of me stopping it right now. It was staying inside if it's modified. Like for instance, what I'm doing now, I try to clean the drum with the machet, so it is stressful. Many people will not come while it's on this stage still. Many youths will refuse coming here because they will come and stress, they will dig, they sweat, they get themselves dirty. But if it's a machine doing this, definitely youth will definitely come inside with no hesitation. From traditional dances to modern jazz, drums are a vital part of Cameroonian culture. But it's a craft that could die out if more people, like Peking Drummer, do not take up the skills in the future. Reporting for Africa Calling, this is Batata Boris Kalov in Boya. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Benin, 26 royal treasures were returned to the country in November after more than a century of exile and a long process of diplomatic negotiation between France and Benin. This is the first time a former colonizing country has returned royal treasures stolen during colonization. And Beninese can now see a part of their country's heritage. Correspondent Fumilayo Asamvi takes us to the exhibition and the celebrations around the return. Here at the Palais de la Marina in Cotonou, a guide welcomes visitors to the museum. They are here to see the 26 royal treasures that France returned to Benin. On display since February, large crowds continue to see and discover these artifacts. From young to old, Beninese or foreigner, everyone wants to see the exhibition of these historic pieces. This success is beyond expectations says Alain Godonou, the director of Benin's museums. Oh, it's a huge success. 
It's a huge success. It's true that we were prepared as well for the quality of the exhibition, but we are far from imagining what a popular success it would be. Today we counted almost 35,000 visitors after a month of exhibition. This is the attendance of Beninese and biggest West African museums in a year. Moreover, it was not every day of the week. It's a popular success. Exhibition halls are always full and we have all kinds of visitors. The visitors clearly share enthusiasm seeing the different artworks. Among the return treasures includes thrones of former kings of the Danhome Kingdom. Other historic and royal objects given back to Benin are four doors of the royal palace of Abome, voodoo altars, Ricades or royal scepters, statues representing former kings, a carabash, and a woman's army cloth. Theo is one of the guides of the exhibition. He explains how the emotions are various from one visitor to another. Of all the ones that come through, I think the emotions are not the same. For some, they are just royal treasures. They just watch them take pictures and marvel in front of them. For others, it's a part of our ancestors' souls that's back. So it's not the same behavior. They don't take photos. Some of them gather in front of the treasures, watch them, ask questions and try to understand. There are also some visitors that are totally angry to know that these treasures have been stolen and kept for more than a century by people to whom they did not belong. It's different kinds of emotions here. We feel that because the visitors communicated to us. King Gezo's throne is one of the attractions of the exhibition. It's a very big wooden throne. Gezo sat on his throne to give presents and gifts to his subjects. It's said that it has mystical power, which a French colonel tried to capture for himself without success. The throne and other royal treasures were in the public domain collection in France and considered French artworks. That's why it took so long for these pieces to come back. Years of diplomatic and political negotiation was necessary to bring the pieces home. Museum girl Bernice tells us she came to discover not only royal treasures but also contemporary art. I was just curious. I am Beninese. I had to visit the exhibition of the royal treasures that are now available in my country. I will be able to now talk about them around me. It's very beautiful what we can see in this exhibition. I have something to say about my country later. One of the special points of this exhibition is the fact that it puts ancestral art and contemporary art together. It's an occasion for visitors to meet and discover modern Beninese art too. Alain Godonou, director of Benin Museum, explains the reason for this mix between the return royal treasures and the contemporary artworks. Oui, disons que la restitution c'est un dossier 
The return of royal treasures is a special dossier which has its own sense. Beninese contemporary art too has its own dimension. It was necessary to prove that the treasures we claimed didn't remain without succession in terms of creation and creativity. There are contemporary artists who have continued creating despite the fact that they weren't connected to that history. It was important too to show this dynamic and to show the world that there are still creators in our country. These two dynamics each have their own logic. Donc ces deux dynamiques qui se rejoignent mais qui sont quand même qui ont chacune leur logique. The exhibition doesn't display only paints, sculptures and treasures. It also showcases living artworks, singing, dancing or slam poetry artists perform when the museum hosts special nighttime hours. Carol Lokosu, artistic director of the night representation, tells us why this is important for the average Beninois. You've seen it for yourself. The night exhibitions allow people that are busy during the day to come visit the treasures and to be able to enjoy living artworks. Artworks that take on body, artworks that take on voice, artworks that come alive and tell the story of our royal treasures. They are the voices of the returned royal treasures that we can admire. Here is a theater piece from Biogera and the Destiny of a People by Severin Akando that was performed in front of thousands of visitors. The piece talks about the way Biogera, a great warrior, resists colonial imperialism. The piece was played by the International School of the Theatre of Benin Theatrical Group. More than 30 interpreters were on stage amidst improvised decor in the courtyard of the Palais de la Marina. Songs, dances and poetry were played in front of a captivated audience. The audience gave a hearty round of applause at the end of the piece. Appreciating your heritage is key, says artistic director Lokosu. Preserving the past by displaying important cultural objects reminds Beninis of where they come from and who they are, she says. The Beninese have to know their history. Young Beninese must identify with their heroes. We talk a lot about Behanzin and Toffer. I don't know if we've talked enough about Bayoguera, who was a great conqueror, a great warrior, a figure that every Beninese should identify with in order to have pugnacity, the rage to move forward and make great things for Benin. Our youth cannot always be on TikTok listening to Rihanna or watching American movies. They also have the right to know the people who made this country what it is. That's why the artistic committee, which chose the scripts, did this in-depth work that allows us to put this show on. The return of the 26 royal treasures is a true cultural triumph for Benin. Based on the large number of visitors to the Palais de la Marina Museum to see them in person, it's evident that their homecoming has generated curiosity and national pride. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Fumila Yasongi in Cotonou, Benin.
Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. We're almost at the end of our program, but of course, we're ending on a special song. Zimbabwean Afrofusion singer Feli Nandi began as a backup singer, but her powerful voice couldn't be kept in the background. She's had a number of hits, sung mainly in Shona, one of Zimbabwe's official languages. We've picked Unotie, which means, what are you afraid of? She sings on the fragility of life and her memories of the day her mom took a taxi and never returned home. It's her third song dedicated to her mother, who has passed, showcasing her powerful vocals. Check out her colorful videos, too. She's a fashion designer and shows off her creations in each video. And on that note, thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 17 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with the beautiful voice of Feli Nandi. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Erwan Rome and Nicolas Doro. Goodbye for now.